Amen. Please be seated. What a great declaration. I will build my life upon your love. I will put my trust in you, and I will not be shaken. I want to just kind of stamp on the floor and just go, yes. I want to build my life upon the love of God. And I don't want my life to be shaken in any way, shape, or form by what comes my way, no matter what it is. Talking with a few people this morning and knowing there are so many different situations that we're living through because life is life and we all get to experience the greatness of life and sometimes the disappointing, the discouragement, the grief, the losses of life. And yet, we can build our life upon the love of God that is ever-present and put our trust in one who we can continue to find refuge and strength. Amen, Amen to that. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms, stand-in moms and all the moms that were described in that video this morning. It was incredible, wasn't it? It was awesome. Well, Mother's Day is a day. It's a day for celebrating and many people look forward to doing just that, to celebrating. Celebrating because you have a loving mom. Celebrating because you are a mom. And it's such a positive, wonderful day. And I rejoice with you in that. But I am fully aware that for others, it's not a day to look forward to. For lots of different reasons, it can be painful. It can be hard. It can bring back sad memories and not a day to celebrate. And I am truly sorry for this day if it is a hard one for you. And so I preface the message this morning with that, knowing also that many of you who are listening in or are here are not mothers, and particularly for those of you who are men who never will be mothers, <laughs> but trusting that whoever you are today, that this message speaks to you, to every one of us, wherever we find ourselves in our emotions or in the space of life that we're in. I also want to preface the message by giving credit this morning to a lady. Many of you would know her. You've heard her speak. You've read her books in the person of Hillary Price. She came to um, Northridge, we had her come as a guest speaker at one of our Tuesdays in the Word years and years ago in our old facility. And she spoke a message that I've never forgotten from Genesis 16. It was entitled, The God Who Sees Me. The God Who Sees Me. So I've drawn certainly some of my thoughts from her today um, and from this scripture in Genesis chapter 16. I think we can all relate to sort of like that question, does anyone see me? As moms, are there times when you feel like, hello, can you see me? Can you see what I'm doing? I'm in the middle of something. It could be in the, you could be in the bathroom. You could even be in the bathtub. I have found myself on that occasion. Sometimes my daughters just need to talk at that moment. <laughs> For some reason though, those moments when you're in the middle of something and your child all of a sudden needs to go somewhere, to be somewhere, you're the taxi driver that needs to get them there and it needs to happen right away. 
Hello, can you see that I'm in the middle of doing something? And sometimes it's just like we feel like we're being completely ignored and nobody sees us, whether that's a family member or a friend or in the workplace where you just simply feel that no one gets how you are feeling. No one sees you. No one cares about you. No one really cares about your input. We all want to be seen from the moment that we're born. I remember a favorite phrase of our girls as they were growing, as they began to walk and talk and all those extraordinary things that kids begin to do, like walk and talk. And even things like when they learn how to do a somersault or ride a bike or they're swimming. How often do you hear, Mommy, Daddy, watch me, watch me. They want to be seen. And how important, you know, that you don't miss those pivotal moments in a children's life when they are having their concerts or their recitals and all of those things where they want you to see them. In fact, we remember um, being in, uh, I think it was a concert, and the teacher actually allowed opportunity for the kids to all wave before the concert began or before they performed so that they could, you know, wave to their parents because otherwise, throughout the entire performance, when they catch sight of their mom and dad, they're going in the middle of that performance. The teacher was very smart. Get it out of your system now and just wave because they want to be seen. Well, we're in a season of life which is an incredible season as grandparents, uh, when we're with our grandchildren. Of course, whether we watch them doing artwork or crafts or we're outside playing or on vacation often with them, you know, they're swimming and they, they just want to be seen. They want you to watch them. And it's important not just for what you're doing, which is what's really important when you're a young child, but as a mature person, we want to be seen for who we are, just not for what we do. Well, this poignant story, this beautiful story in Genesis chapter 16, draws out this idea of this sometimes even unrealized need to be seen. It's a story of Abraham, who's at the ripe young age of 86 in Genesis chapter 16, and his wife Sarah, She's 10 years younger, she's 76, and it's a story also of their Egyptian slave, and her name is Hagar. God had promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. He would have many children, offspring. And as it turned out, after they had been living in the land of Canaan for about 10 years, Sarah had still born Abraham no children. She's 76. So Sarah tells Abraham that perhaps they are meant to have children by means of her Egyptian slave girl. In fact, it was ancient custom, not something sanctioned by God, let me say, but an ancient custom um, of that time where women could give their maids to their husbands to become surrogate mothers. And any children born to these unions would, of course, belong to the masters, not to the slave. Of course, Abraham listens to Sarah, and soon Hagar conceives a child. Hagar, consequently, 
begins to treat Sarah with contempt. Um, we aren't given the reasons why she does that. We can only imagine. Um, and Sarah then begins to treat Hagar with mis um, contempt. She begins to mistreat her so badly that Hagar runs away. A little bit of background of Hagar would be that she would be an immigrant from Egypt with no sense of belonging. She's running away from a household where her body has been used to produce offspring for an infertile couple. She's trapped in a system where she probably feels invisible, with no rights, no dignity, no freedoms or choices. And she has basically had enough. She's referred to by Abraham and Sarah as the slave girl, the maidservant, the Egyptian, not even by name, at least in the passage. She's not referred to by name in their conversation. They most likely did not really see Hagar as a person, but merely as a body, a surrogate that served a purpose. And so Hagar, maybe not knowing what she wanted, she did know she did not want to any longer be mistreated as a nobody. And so she runs away. And maybe even in that moment, she didn't realize what her greatest need was until she meets the God who meets her need. Chapter 16, Hagar names God El Roy, the God who sees. <clears throat> Hagar reminds us of the humanity of every single person and our God-given needs. And it is through our needs that we experience God in our deepest way. This very morning, as you sit where you are sitting, it is your need that will help you to experience God in the deepest way as you call out to him. So let me ask you, think about this for a moment. What name would you give God if you had the chance to name him? Hagar named God Elroy, the God who sees. She needed to be seen, and in that moment, she named him the God who sees me because they have a conversation, and he sees her. What would you name God? Would you name him the God who loves you? The God who comforts? The God who guides you? The God who forgives you? The God of the second chance? Hagar, the Egyptian maid, is the only person in the Bible, actually, who gives God a name. Up to this point, only God had given himself names. He introduced himself to the children of Israel as Elohim, the creator, Yahweh, the covenant maker, El Shaddai, the mighty. And those are vast and majestic names, but Hagar needs more than a vast, majestic God who she has probably heard about but doesn't know. She needs an intimate, personal God who sees her value and he meets that need for her. And in verse 13, Hagar declares, I have now seen the God who sees me. In Genesis 16, Hagar's run away from Abraham and 
Sarah. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And then a little bit later on, it says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. We all have an inner desire to be seen. Many of us have the wonderful blessing of enjoying an intimate relationship and feeling fully known by our spouses or a family member. But our inner desire goes even beyond a human intimacy. American author Pearl Buck said, I love people, I love my family, my children, but inside myself is a place where I live all alone. And she's not alone in that sentiment. That feeling of lacking significance or feeling alone is one of the greatest needs in our world today. And how many of us hate feeling misunderstood and desperately wanting to, to believe and know that there's somebody who sees inside of us and gets us and understands us and why we respond and speak and, and just act out the way that we do? Blaise Pascal, we've heard this quote many times before, and it's actually not a true quote, um, but it, it is uh, sort of a, a translation of his quote, where he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. Brian and I last week watched a uh, tragic documentary, and I don't know why we watch tragic documentaries. I really do not love those. <laughs> anyway, we did. Um, on the life of Marilyn Monroe. I was a little girl when she was um, very well known. Um, anyway, it shared a lot of her life story and the tumultuous relationships that she had throughout her life, one with her mum, who in and out of season, they would get along. But, but Marilyn was in and out of orphanages as well, based on her mom's particular struggles. And there was never any identified father on the scene. And she grew up seeking to find significance and meaning by striving to be what the world says is significant and meaningful. Whether it would be her status, she, from an early age, loved to just go and sit in a theater Actually, it said an empty theater, and just watch movie after movie. She desired to be nothing but a movie star in the public eye. But she, uh, she grew up valuing physical appearance and, and the status and, and all of the things that come with that. And it was very sad to watch the portrayal of her life. And this absolutely beautiful woman, who it seemed lived an empty life, as she climbed to fame, she obviously was very successful financially, but she went from relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage, and then to apparently end her life in an overdose. 
The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is something that I hope we all get and understand, that God is actually the only one who can truly see our heart and know us and love us for who we are. And that brings an inward kind of significance. And so what does that inward kind of significance mean? What does it mean to be seen? What difference does that make to our lives when we are actually seen? Well, it makes all the difference in the world. Because to be seen is to be fully accepted, to be valuable, to feel comfortable in our own skin. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are and whose we are. The psalmist said of God, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God saw us before anyone else did. He envisioned us into being, and once he envisioned us and created us, he watches over us and knows us. And God's eyes, God's eyes are loving And when we know that, we can relax in his presence. We may not be able to relax in the presence of whether it's family or other people that we are surrounded by, but we can relax in the presence of God because he fully knows us and fully loves us as we are. There's a beautiful verse in Zephaniah which says, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And when we can simply sit in the presence of God and invite his love to quiet us, we will feel significant. We will feel loved and valued. Psalm 33 says, The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts. So he understands everything they do. To be seen is to be safe. It's to be understood. And it's to be free under the gaze of our loving Heavenly Father. Now, I don't know if the thought of God seeing you, knowing everything about you makes you cringe, or if it gives you courage. For Hagar, it gave her courage. And she submitted to God's direction to go back and to live under the authority of her mistress and live in the home of Abraham and Sarah. I think most of us can look back over our lives and can identify that God was watching over us. And even though we weren't necessarily aware of it at the time. But I think there are also many people who question that if he truly is the God who sees us, Why are we not protected from so many of the tragedies of life? But just like Hagar discovered, just because we can't see God doesn't mean that he is not there with us and sees us. Just because I can't see him doing anything immediately in my life or around my life does not mean that he is not doing something. To be seen by God does not mean that you don't fall. Falling is a part of life. 
God doesn't stop everything that hurts us. We've been given the gift of free will and choice, and when we step outside of God's best for us, we get hurt or we get affected by the consequences of other people's free will and choice. He doesn't prevent that hurt, but he will always provide the possibility of healing because God is watching over us. He sees us. He loves every person who he has created. To be seen is to be known and loved by God, and he invites us to love him back, even though that's not something he will ever force upon us. If we see not just that God saw Hagar, but if we see Jesus as Hagar did, finding her life valuable in his eyes, something happened to her, something happens to us, and our lives are changed. Whatever mess we may have found ourselves in, God knows and still loves us. But he invites us into a new life and helps us sort through the mess. As a socially marginalized woman, Hagar's most intimate relationship, it turns out, was with God. And she begins to respond differently because she's confident in her identity as God's beloved. She no longer feels alone. Her God-shaped vacuum has been filled by the person of God himself. And she feels love and is validated by the God who sees her. As God saw Hagar, she began to see him with eyes of faith. And we can only assume that because she was able to return to Sarah and Abraham, she began to look at Abraham and Sarah differently and see them as God saw them. In the book of John, there's a story of the disciples who went to find food one day while Jesus sat by a well and talked to a Samaritan woman. When the disciples returned, they were shocked to find Jesus talking with this woman. They had walked by her, ignoring her because she was a Samaritan and she was a woman, which in that culture, that was two strikes against her. And they did not see her. But Jesus did. He saw the lonely woman. He saw the need of this woman. The woman who longed to be seen and longed to be known. And he invited conversation and invitation to her. And he invites us into conversations as well. He invites us, knowing that he sees us, to see others as he does. And so, what would be our response, our outward response, as we begin to look at God as he sees us and see others through his eyes? The people in the crowd, the lonely, the hurting, the vulnerable, we are invited to respond as he does, to welcome and, and come to know and love as he does, to accept people and by our love introduce them to Jesus, to the God who sees. Whether you like it or not or whether you believe it or not, and whether you want it or not, God sees you today 
and he sees you with a look of love. My question is, what difference does that make to you? What difference does it make in our lives that God sees us as we walk out of this church, as we drive away, as we lay our heads on our pillows tonight, as we live our lives, as we choose our careers, as we live the role of a mom or a dad, as a wife, a husband, a son, a daughter, as we live in all those relationships, to know that we are not insignificant, to know we are valued. Hagar felt insignificant until, she, until God met her, right where she needed him to the most. And he, like no one else, could give her significance. I invite you to acknowledge today that God sees you as you are. He loves you as you are. And by that understanding and knowledge, he invites us to see others as they are and to love others as he does. I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we sing this beautiful song, He Knows My Name. And as we sing, my prayer would be that you would allow his love to reach into your heart, that you would feel his love, his value, his blessing over you, and that you would receive that fully and that as you are reminded of that, that you would be able to embrace others that are in your life, that come into your life, and by virtue of the love that you experience from God, that you would be able to pour that out onto others so that they might see in you the God who sees. Shall we sing?